1: Hello Bulls fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode, one where Will and I get to revel in our abilities as prophets. I say that because if you tuned into the show last week, we here on Bulls HQ predicted a 3-0 week with the Bulls to beat the Hornets, Knicks and Nets and what do you know Bulls fans? The Bulls did exactly that, so with that in mind, Will, how much credit do you think we should bestow upon ourselves for what the Bulls achieved over the last week? Do do you think we should take all the credit here? It's got to be 100%. I mean,
0: (laughs) there's just no two ways about it. We are completely responsible, and I think because of our success, we're going to make this a recurring part of the show where, uh, towards the end of the episode, we'll look ahead to the games that we have for next week, and we can make some predictions, and I think... I mean, if we want to just continue to say three or four and no, we can do that, but our record won't be great. Uh, so <laughs> we'll we'll see how that goes. But I I do think it's fun to do a little predicting.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's it's uh, it's not an element we've done a lot previously. Let's say on Bulls HQ, but um, maybe it's a it's a one off thing. A, uh, <laughs> I don't know some random luck here, but nonetheless, it, it's it appears to be working. So maybe we uh we have to keep going with it, but. Look, uh, moving away from the shenanigans here, like there's there's actually a ton to discuss in this episode. Obviously, we're doing weekly podcasts here, and for whatever reason, like an amazing week from a a, like an encore perspective. Obviously, we talked about the three, or we touched on there the three wins, and we'll get into those three wins a little bit later on the show. But from a news cycle point of view as well, like there was a lot to actually discuss with this Bulls team. Like we got a resolution on the tampering investigation. COVID has come back and reared its head. Uh, There's you know issues going on with other teams that may affect, like the, the Bulls as well, in terms of you know Portland and their chase for Mark Eversley. So there's a lot to actually discuss here. So maybe we can start with the tampering investigation because uh, the, that I mean this was seemingly going on for months and months. We had no idea when a resolution was going to come. Uh, it didn't sound like it was going to come anytime soon. And then randomly last week, mid last week, we get the uh, the news that. Essentially, the Bulls just received a slap on the wrist type punishment. I mean, they lose a the second round pick in as a result of the tampering investigation. We don't really know when that second round, uh, second round pick will be lost, but um, maybe we can get into the minutia of that. Will but more generally, I mean, what what were your initial takeaways from the from the league? I guess for, uh, finding or not finding, I guess, but taking away a, a second round pick from the Bulls.
0: Uh, yeah, my first reaction was that it was pretty light punishment. Uh, yeah. when was the signing originally? It was like August, right? So like 3 yeah, four, like August four two, months. August 2, August 1, or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a while we didn't we hadn't heard yeah. anything from the league and then all of a sudden uh, the report comes out and basically the Bulls will lose their next available second round pick. So um yeah, just in terms of reaction to that, I was pretty surprised. I had a little bit more time to think about it and um this isn't like an apples to apples comparison, but just thinking about the uh the punishment laid out for Nicole Jokic and Markeef Morris after their little I don't know what to call Kefuffle. that, where, where yeah, where <laughs> Jokic kind of um took a hit from Markeef and then proceeded to body check him, you know, while Mark wasn't looking. That was only a one game suspension. Um, and then the LeBron and Isaiah Stewart thing happened and I believe that was only a one or two game suspension. And so I think generally speaking, the precedent for these kinds of, um, violations are not super high, but at the same time, tampering seems to be something that the NBA wants to crack down on. And then you set this precedent that, you know, the bulls can lose uh, a first round pick in the or a second round pick in the future. Um, I would say it's well worth it to get Lonzo Ball in the door,
1: in our building, yeah, sure. as,
0: as they say, as John Paxson says.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But I, I guess that was the worry because, like, the Bucks were the last team to get or go through a tampering investigation. I think they lost a the second round pick, but everyone assumed that Bulls and and the Heat too would be losing maybe something a little bit more substantial. Given in this instance, they got their guy through the door whether it was Lonzo or, or Lowry, whereas the Bucks in that previous instance. Didn't get uh, uh, bogged down Bogdanovich, so in that sense, like I guess from that point of view, that precedent, we assumed maybe they are going to lose a first round pick. There was rumours or conjecture that maybe uh, you know there would be a fine from a dollar's point of view. There would also potentially be suspension for. You know, general managers, executives, tourists, those sorts of things. Obviously, none of that really played out. And to to be thinking or fearing the worst of like, and maybe the worst being losing a first round pick, which the Bulls don't have a ton of. To go from that to then just losing a second round pick, which the Bulls may not have a second round pick for years and years out from 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 where we are now. So like, it, it literally is a slap on the wrist. I, 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 and just to, I guess just based on all the noise that was surrounding this thing, and uh, you know, four or five months ago. To walk away with this being a potential loss of a 2026 20, for a second round pick, it's just like, okay, whatever. I'm going to continue to tamper. <laughs> that was my overall takeaway. Like, how is this going to stop us from tampering in the future? Like, it won't, basically.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think just from uh, like, from a penalty standpoint on the league's behalf, it's very difficult to, like, target evidence that would suggest that teams are, like, talking to players before... Um, the window for them to be doing so legally and uh yeah it just seemed like it happens to every team every team does it every team tries to do it the bulls of course sign their guy immediately after the free agency doors opened and so they were kind of being the ones that are picked out to be made an example of and this was the example it's fine i think in terms of just so we're all um caught up on like what pick it will end up being so the bulls do not have their own second round pick, um, until 2026. So we've traded away all of our second round picks and various trades for DeMar. I can lay them out, but basically DeMar trade, uh, the trade last year, which happened at the deadline with Daniel Gafford and, uh, Tice and all those guys. And then, uh, 2024 goes to the Pelicans and Lonzo and then 2025 again to the Spurs for DeMar. Um, they could potentially be getting a second round pick in from Denver this year but that would be protected 31 to 45 and so um assuming basically the the nuggets make the playoffs uh the bulls will get their pick and at that point it's like a mid 40s like early 50s pick and again the the value of that is is well worth getting lonzo for so um if it isn't this nuggets pick if that doesn't convey then it will be the 2020 six pick uh, meaning the bulls don't have their own second round pick until 2027 again i think we're we're all on board with that punishment as far as getting to have lonzo
1: yeah for sure and look if you really value second round picks you can always go and buy one too like so if, if in the event that the bulls were to lose their 2024 pick or their 2026 pick whatever it may be like you can always obviously trade for another second round pick you can buy another second round pick type thing via a trade so from that perspective as well, like it's not a huge asset to be to be losing. And now, obviously, you know, with their second round pick this year, they they got through Io and you know, maybe down the down the track, we'll be you know doing some revisionist history, and maybe whatever pick they do convey turns out to be a really nice player. Who the hell knows? But the point is, uh, in the scheme of what could have been, I guess, I, I guess how the Bulls could have been punished, this is uh, very light handed. So it's just amusing, I guess, that it took. Four odd months to get to this point. That's the part that doesn't make sense to me. But uh, what, look, it is what it is. I won't complain more, given the uh, uh, the result. One more piece on this is I
0: think um, I can't remember who tweeted this out, but I saw somebody um, say that essentially like the reaction for when the Bulls sold their pick, which I believe was like the thirty, like early thirties pick to the Warriors that became Jordan Bell um, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, and the difference between that and losing this pick and the reaction. Um, it's just like the difference I think for me is, is that you're like, actually it's going towards using something and not just like getting a few million bucks back in the door worth of equity to, to Jerry, you know, Mm. like, yes, it sucks because the Bulls can hit on guys like Io in the second round who had an incredible game, um, against the Nets this week. And we can get more into that later, but at the end of the day, these picks are are being made use of, even if it's not a player coming through. It's through these trades, or um, in this case, a free agent signing. So I'll I'll take that all day, as opposed to just like selling them off.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, it's four years later, and people still don't understand why people are annoyed about the selling of the Jordan Bell pick. We won't get into it now because you know if they haven't caught on in four years, and they're not going to catch on now. But it had nothing to ever to do with just the specific player. But yeah, I take your point, but. Nonetheless, a really good result from that point of view. That that just added to the week for me. Like we can talk about the wins later on, but um, it, it just it just set the mood. Now maybe things that didn't necessarily set the mood, I guess, was speculation that, uh, and it's probably more so speculation than actual hard reporting here. But with the the Blazers firing Neil Olshay in Portland. There were reports from Chris Haynes suggesting that Bulls GM Mark Eversley may be a candidate that will be strongly considered for the lead exec role over in Portland. So I guess whilst we were reveling and celebrating the tampering investigation, this was I won't say this news was concurrent, but it was again another key storyline, and, and something that's of note because to me, when I saw this, like I was a little bit some not a, not surprised, but I was a little bit uh, scared. Let's say in the fact that you know, given what Eversley and Kindershovers have done here in the space of very short time uh, turnaround, and particularly like Eversley and his importance with uh, you know bringing through Demar Derozan specifically, like I'm actually quite concerned now that you know that Eversley may leave the balls and that. There were reports that that's not necessarily going to happen, that it is just a uh, speculation. But at least from my point of view, like Karnashovas to me strikes me as a guy that needs someone next to him like uh, like Eversley, who's more the relationship-based guy, the guy that really knows the players, knows networks. And you leave AK in the back to be his stoic self who's scheming and strategizing and those sorts of things. So, he's a perfect offset to to AK. So. I would be really scared to lose, obviously, and I, I guess I'm basing that just on some very high level reporting. Obviously, we know nothing about or nothing much about these guys, but uh, what are your thoughts about Eversley being linked to to the Portland job?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a like mimicry is the best sign of flattery or whatever. Like they obviously think mm. that Eversley is doing a really good job, and um, you know, obviously, I think all of us agree with that. He's been monumental in just two off seasons and one trade deadline and totally reshaping this franchise from what it was to what it is. Uh so yeah, I think it would be, you know I w I wouldn't say a disaster, but it would definitely it would definitely sting. To lose Ever Eversley, I, I totally agree with your um with your take on it in, in terms of him being more of the relationships guy and them balancing each other out really well. I will say uh, Chris Haynes is obviously like a great reporter, but he has his own great relationships around the league and I think they inform some of his reporting. So I know he and Damien Lillard are really close and that could just be sort of something that Dame is trying to to get out there as far as like what his preference would be. Um, it's all speculation. It was one of the few names that came out, so maybe a, a point of concern there, but, uh, yeah, I guess until we hear anything else, um, just cross our fingers. I I do think that this position would be a pretty like notable step up in terms of hierarchy to be, to go from GM to like president of basketball operations is a pretty significant thing. And you could imagine how that would be, um, a really appealing place to go, you know, take over, uh, whether it's trying to sort of reboot, rebuild, or, Retool around Damian Lillard and the group they have there, so um, it's definitely uh, you know an interesting spot for a potential GM to to go take on a role. But hopefully, um, just having been here for you know such a short period of time, he's still invested in what we're presently trying to build.
1: Yeah, and and whilst it would be uh, you know a promotion of sorts, it's hard to look at Portland now and, and really take them seriously. Like they're, they're kind of a bit of a rabble at the moment, which is. Not, I wouldn't necessarily concern myself with that, but give them that they the Blazers owe their their first round pick to the to the Bulls, or at least it's protected, uh, lottery protected. Like I want to see them make at least one more postseason, uh, preferably you know, you know eighth or something like that in the West. Get
0: that. But uh,
1: yeah, I mean, there's just so much going on there in Portland where d- that just doesn't seem right. It sounds like Chancy, uh, Chauncey Billups after every game is just questioning the team's effort and intensity and all that sort of crap and. Yeah, you know, whenever you start hearing that, particularly this early in seasons, you can tell there's just something going on in that locker room. So I would imagine like yes, it's a promotion, but from a pure I don't know, being part of a, a good organization, let's say, and it's funny to refer to the Bulls as a good organization at this point, it, it still feels a bit odd, but that's effectively what they are now. Whereas the the Blazers are a complete shambles at this point and, and who the hell knows what's going to happen with Lillard, with CJ McCollum, all that sort of stuff. So Maybe we have that working in our favor that uh, the Blazers aren't necessarily the the best organization right now. So maybe that um, sways him to stay, and, and maybe he puts in a few more years here on, in Chicago. The Bulls keep winning, and maybe that bolsters his credentials for another job. Who the hell knows?
0: Yep, I guess uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Um, should we get into this Thad Young um, quote that came out the other day? Which uh, you know, I think. Basically uh his role has been really minimized this year with the Spurs. Um obviously the Bulls sent him over there in the Derozan trade. Um and he basically goes from being like almost the offensive hub um on the Bulls to getting, you know, a handful of minutes per night and uh, it sounds like he's frustrated. I mean, he's saying that the situation is not ideal. Um but I think Mark, uh, a lot of Bulls fans are are clamoring to get him back, but that doesn't seem like it's a real possibility.
1: Yeah, and look, I included this in the rundown, and, and it's not really Bulls news, but it's Bulls adjacent. Let's say, obviously, because we all we all love Thad Young, we we appreciate what he did for the Bulls last season, despite you know last season being a tough season. But you know, you always hear. That's, you know, the Bulls need another big guy. We've all speculated about this. They need to go out and trade for another big. And everyone keeps coming back to Thad Young. And given the fact that he's not playing in in San Antonio, everyone's like, well, let's trade for him. Or maybe he gets bought out and maybe the Bulls can can sign him once he is bought out. But uh, the, the reason why I wanted to note this on the show was the Bulls basically can't acquire Thad Young this season. There's no way from a a cap point of view that it's actually going to be allowed. So, because they are the last team to trade Thad in, Thad in the event that he is waived, they essentially can't reacquire him. Uh, reacquire him. So, uh, the only reason I wanted to note this is so, unfortunately, we can be the bearer of bad news and just kill people's dreams around Thad Young returning to the Bulls this season. Not really possible. Maybe next season it's, it's something that can happen. But um, yeah, Thad, for whatever reason, isn't getting much time in San Antonio, I, I'm assuming you know they're doing a soft tank of sorts. They're winning games. I mean, they beat the Warriors the other night, so they're not completely terrible. But Thad is going to be a trade candidate. I understand why Bulls fans want to have Thad Young walk through the door again, but it's just not feasibly possible based on the way the CBA is set up. So uh, that's the reason I wanted to note note it down. It doesn't res- you know necessarily change the Bulls' perspective this season. I, I didn't even know how much Thad Young would be playing this season. To be fair, but. You know, we just have to put it out there that unfortunately in the event that the Bulls do look to acquire some other, you know, players, whether it's big or otherwise, it won't be Thad Young unfortunately. But I guess like it would be kinda of handy to have Thad Young right now because the Bulls are basically down two or three rotational players. I mean, Kobe this week went out with COVID. Then, you know, a couple of days later, after the Knicks, de- Knicks game, Javante Green out with COVID, misses the Nets game. And this all comes off the bat of Alex Caruso having, you know, hamstring issues where it was improbable that he was going to play in the Nets game. He did get up for the game, played the first quarter, didn't return to the game, and is now doubtful for the game against the Nuggets on Monday night. So... You know, we're talking about depth pieces and how it can't be Thad Young, but geez, it would be nice to have someone like Thad Young when you've got Kobe, Javante and potentially Caruso all out against the Nuggets on Monday.
0: Yeah, I think if there was one, obviously like people can have their opinion about the the DeRozan signing and, and the cost um, to acquire him. But I think if there's one uh, critique of the roster construction right now, for me, it's the depth and mm-hmm. you... Enter the season, and Kobe has the the shoulder injury. He's not playing. You know, third game into the season, Patrick Williams goes down, and he's out for the year. Um, now you have Nick Vucevic uh, misses seven games with COVID, and now Kobe's got COVID again, and Javante Green's got COVID, and Cruz has hurt his hamstring, and it's just really hard to. I think all the all the teams in the league are dealing with this to some capacity, but it it's it's really difficult to like get through a season healthy. And uh, if you can't do that, it can be really hard to to be one of those 50 plus win teams, because I think a lot of that, just regardless of how good you are, is reliant on health and availability. And so, um, you know, we bring up that young because I, I do think somebody who fits that mold of a big um, defensive player who can pass a little bit and who can sort of be um, a connective piece, whether it's in the starting lineups with Caruso and Pat out or maybe coming off the bench and um, sort of facilitating the offense in that role the way he did last year. Um, I do think the Bulls have some room to to make a move here at the deadline, um, whether Kobe or Javante or Derek Jones Jr. are involved in that um, and, and maybe the, uh, the Blazers pick that you mentioned. Um, But I do think just given the, I mean, in general, maybe they need another piece, but given all the injuries and and just the way that, um, you know, we've seen sort of a need for a big wing defender um, who can, who can uh, be a connected piece on offense, I think is a really glaring weakness on the, in the rotation.
1: Yeah. And to your point, like depth matters maybe more this season than other regular seasons in past. I mean, it always matters. And teams that are typically towards the top of their conference generally have, you know, great depth. But with the league being so flat right now, there's literally a couple of games, so you know, separating like second in the East versus tenth in the East, for example. Like there's four games between the Bulls and the Hawks between second and tenth at the moment. Like that, so much of this is going to come down to depth this season. I think ultimately where teams finish and how how they, I guess, manage the depth issue. But we, when you've got Kobe out with COVID and Javante out with COVID and then you got Caruso with the hamstring like obviously firstly you hope Javante and Kobe get better and get healthy as quick as possible that that obviously goes without saying but you know something happened between the Bulls and Hornets I'm assuming because the Hornets have got four players out and obviously these these two teams faced last Monday night so the Hornets have Lamelo out they've got a, a Mason Plumlee I think is out as well and Terry Rozier so like Teams all season will be tested from a rotation standpoint, from a depth, depth standpoint. So, like, depth really matters, but with so much of the league as well sort of clumped together where there's only a couple games separating each other, there's going to be so many buyers at the deadline, you would imagine. And I don't know if there's going to be enough sellers to sort of uh, suffice or, or give every one of these teams that want to be a buyer, you know, exactly what they need. But, you know, to the point of this week that we just got done watching as well from, the, from a ball standpoint, like... This team went 3-0 and last week with two or well, three really solid wins. Let's just call it three really solid wins. But, I mean, that that game against the Nets was so damn impressive. Like, I don't know how you feel about the Nets. Like, I don't rate them as, you know, the the, the premier talent here in the Eastern Conference. I still think that's the Bucks based on how the Nets are currently constructed. But nonetheless, I mean, whenever you have Durant and uh, James Harden, like, you're obviously a really damn good team. But, like, the Bulls went into Brooklyn. It looked like they were going to lose that game at one point. At least, in the, at least at the half, they were getting dominated on the glass. It didn't look like they really had it. They started had, they the were game
0: down down nine. I mean, it was just a yeah. kind of a a lazy start on a Saturday evening. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, go on. But I I totally agree. It was a very very impressive win given all the injuries. Yeah, and, well, I mean, um,
1: exactly. Like you, you're down Kobe, you're down Javante entering the game. You had just played the Knicks and had a really good win there. Like you had beaten the Knicks and the Hornets earlier in the week, coming up against the Nets to to end your week. Like it, it wouldn't have been uh, you know unforeseen for them to the, to drop this game. And to your point, like they got down early, they got smashed on the glass, which was you know concerning given that the Nets are not a good offensive of, offensive rebounding team. They're actually thirtieth in the NBA, but they the Bulls just allowed them to have every single offensive rebound in that first half. So the way it was sort of trending, you assumed that the, the Nets were going to romp the Bulls in the second half, but They found a way to win this game despite the odds being maybe against them. And I mean, this really just speaks to this point around the the whole depth piece, but making a trade in season because I don't know about you, but like, I I mean, I felt this earlier in the season anyway, but as we watch more games going on, the more I become convinced of this team being a real real team, let's say. I won't say they have a, a great shot at a title right now, but I think they do have a shot at a title and... After watching the Bulls play the Nets and matching uh, Kevin Durant and James who, James Harden, who albeit didn't play their best games, but nonetheless, like the Bulls are right there with teams like the Nets, so you have to strike now whilst the league is kind of wide open because it is like there isn't, to my eyes at least, a, like just a walk-away team that's going to absolutely romp home this uh, this NBA season maybe some feel different differently with the Warriors, but we just saw the Warriors lose twice last week as well. So I guess my wider part, well, coming back to twi- uh, speaking about these specific uh, games, but like whilst the Bulls went three and zero, they got good wins against good teams above 500 this week. Like essentially these wins just reaffirmed to me, like we have to go in all now because you never know what, you know, when this opportunity will arise again. You never know if you're going to get this season from a 32 year old DeMar DeRozan next season or the year after, like, this may be his best season ever. Like, if next year he comes back and he's ten or fifteen percent worse, then did your window just close? So, I'll, I I want to see the Bulls make make the most of their, uh, their their window, no matter how big or small it is at the moment. But to me, the more I more I see of this team, the more I think they have a, a real chance if they do make that one extra little move. I I
0: couldn't agree more. And I think what you said about Derozan uh, applies to Vooch too. I mean, you've already seen. Yeah, it remains to be seen whether he'll be I mean, he, he was much better um, in the Hornets. I mean, just absolutely dominant in the Hornets game In the next game. He was great. He was pretty quiet in the uh, in the Nets game after a pretty good mm-hmm. first quarter. Um, but basically, you're working with like two of your three best players um, in their early 30s right now. And yeah, I mean, they could slip 10 or 15 percent at any moment. And with the lead being as wide open as it is, I think it's going to be a really good test to see um, how AK and Eversley can sort of operate on the margins, right? Uh, Last year, I think we all can agree. um, Some really good moves to, to shake up the roster. Um, You know, Wendell and the picks going out, maybe they overpaid for that. um, You could argue, but I think it, it set a clear direction and that's worth the price. Um, Daniel Gafford's obviously like having a, A really good year in Washington, um, but to get Tice back and uh, basically get rid of all these other sort of trimming the fat, I guess, and getting rid of all these peripheral pieces to set yourself up. And I think this year, given the way that the play-in has changed the way that teams are operating, the fact that the East is so strong, I mean, the Cavs are great. The Hornets are great. Um, The Knicks are out of the play in tournament at this point at 11 and 12, the Raptors are right there. I mean, there's 12 teams that could feasibly make the playoffs in the East and the West is not quite as deep, but um, you still have at least 10 teams that are, are really competitive there. And so I do think it'll be interesting to see what they do to, um, to add to this team because they have hedged a little bit on their bet to go all in on like established guys, right? Like they still have Patrick Williams. They still have Kobe, um, io has been playing big minutes lately, uh, and they've got their pick this year and the Blazers pick this year. So they still have some pieces to work with, um, meaning they haven't gone like fully emptied the, the war chest here, but, um, maybe it's the time to do that. Just given the fact that, uh, the league is pretty wide open. There's, I would say five or six true contenders right now, but none of them are the 2017 warriors. Right. So, um, it's not crazy to me that if this team makes a move, they could get to the finals and those opportunities don't come very often. I mean, the last time the Bulls were this good was 10 years ago when Derek Rose won MVP and the time before that was 1998. So this is this is a time to make a move and um, not many teams are going to be sellers. So I really wonder what they're going to be able to do.
1: Yeah, and look to this point, like the, the the league is so bunched up right now. But there is only four teams at the moment who have a top ten offense and defense in terms of off- offensive rating and defensive rating. Like those four teams are the Warriors, the Suns, the Bulls, and the Bucks as as presently uh, constructed at the moment. Those numbers will obviously shift day to day, but that's how it stands at the moment in terms of net rating. The Bulls are one of the four top teams. So like, uh, maybe things change in the in, you know towards the, the end of the season where. I don't know for whatever reason this this position right now changes like maybe DeRozan doesn't sustain this or maybe they maybe they receive an injury that completely alters their season or I don't know maybe covid strikes again and you lose Zach or DeMar for 2 or 3 weeks and that really impacts you from a standings point of view like there's so many variables that can affect this affect this season but based on what we know right now and the type of season that you're getting from DeMar I mean like Go to the Knicks game, for example, where he completely turned uh, turned that game in that fourth quarter. Had 18 points in that fourth quarter period, basically turned what would have been a loss to the Bulls into a win for the Bulls based on his own individual brilliance. And then you have the Nets game where both DeRozan and Levine are just absolutely trading scores. Like DeRozan again in the fourth quarter, 13 points. Like those two as as a tandem. You know, I mean, we as a fan base expected them to fit perfectly, but I, I dare say that you know, even maybe you know, maybe, maybe the, the complete c Red Optimus uh, Optimus expected this, but from me, from my point of view, like I thought these guys would fit well together, but they've exceeded my uh, expectations as a two man tandem. So, like, as you sort of start to see these things come together, like, I don't know, like you just got to strike. I guess is my point, and you never know when your opportunity or what your best opportunity will be, and I, and I still sense this. Skepticism among the fan base, or maybe the, it's not skepti- uh, skepticism, but you know, they're just waiting for Patrick Williams to come back and just assuming once he comes back that that'll just add to another layer to this team. But where I'm at, like, I'm basically at the point where I'm like, just sell off Patrick Williams, Kobe White, whatever the hell else you need to sell off to add to DeMar and Levine and really go all in now in these next one to two years because that's all you may get for the next 10, 15 years. And you just got to maximize your uh, your best case scenario right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the, I wouldn't say I'm a skeptic of this team, but I also don't view them as like, you know, such a lock to, to make the conference finals or the finals that I would feel like super gung ho about getting, getting rid of all the remaining trade chips. Um, But I definitely see the value in doing it. I see the point. And um, I think it's going to come down to like what opportunities are out there. So um, if there's a move that would require all those pieces, whether it's the picks and Patrick Williams and Kobe um, and Dirk Jones or whatever combination of those players and pieces it may be, um, go for it. But I don't necessarily think like just get rid of them to go get, uh, you know, some sixth or seventh men rotation guys. Like I, I do think it has to be yeah, the yeah, right yeah. move. And yeah. and obviously mm-hmm. um, that will be – you know, there's like, what, two or three, maybe four months before the trade deadline. So a lot can happen with the with the standings, a lot can happen with COVID, as you mentioned. So we'll see how, how things kind of, you know, shake out um, over that time period. But like you said, I mean, if, if they can continue to win some of these games, given the injuries, and it does just speak to how impressive they have been this year, especially Damar and Zach. Um, I, I think, yeah, strike while the iron's hot for sure.
1: Yeah, and like just further to that, like you get a game from IO against the Nets, for example, where not in my wildest dreams did I expect a second round pick to have that sort of influence on a game this soon into this season. Like maybe what IO is doing right now is maybe what I expected or hoped for in year two, three, four, for example, assuming he even hit it all. But to have him coming into games and, you know, playing the way he did against the Nets, like that's found money as well. What DeMar is doing to the level that he's doing at, as well is like found money, like people were talking about the, the, the cost that the Bulls paid to get DeMar and the fact that they're paying $26, $27 million this season. I mean, the reality is based on DeMar's production right now, he's playing like a max level player. So like you're getting max level production from a guy who's earning $26, $27 million. Like, again, that's a found money you've got uh, Vucevic who's starting to, to to round into form. Like, if he gets back to the level that we know he can play, again, found money sort of thing. So, uh, and and we assume at some point, like, Zach will get over his thumb injury and, and that'll turn up even more. So, I, I guess there's a lot of things going right with the Bulls at the moment. And, you know, obviously that can change very quickly. But, like, even game to game, things are just seemingly, uh you know, going as well as you could you could possibly expect. So, it, it just... I don't know. Like, when I watch this team and the fact that they're given, getting these levels of, of of performances from support players, like, Caruso goes out, he was guarding Durant. You expect at that point when he goes out the team to lose. Like, why wouldn't you expect that? Like, you lose your best perimeter defender, you've only got Lonzo. Lonzo's, uh, you know, uh, they're not a great matchup for Durant. And at that point, you know, on the road, you expect to lose that game. But. You, you get performances out of Io. Derek Jones Junior. does his stuff off the bench. Like even Tony Bradley came in yesterday and had some, some decent minutes. So like they're getting performances from every every single player in, in all of these games. Where uh, yeah, look like they've obviously had their challenges. We just spoke about all the COVID stuff, but they just keep finding ways to turn up and to to beat, you know, their opponents and. This is a team sport, and right now the Bulls are just one of the better teams in the NBA. And obviously, a lot of that credit goes to, to Billy and, and the way he's coached this team, but I'm hoping that Arturis and, and Eversley are, are thinking a little bit more strategic, let's say, and I'm sure they are, but, and, and just like trying to seize this opportunity because the, the players themselves, the coaches, they've basically done everything you possibly can to make this season thus far as successful as it possibly can be. 16-8 and eight right now. The Bulls are half a game off the best record in the East. It's, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, I I far exceeded what my expectations were um, of just like what this team could be. And especially as we keep on saying here, like the injuries just make this even more impressive. And there are teams like Bam Adebayo goes down with the with the shoulder injury and he's going to miss like six to eight weeks. Um, and, And that kind of thing could happen at any given moment. And so it's just all the all the more reason to like go in when you have the opportunity. And right now they do. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely trust given the, the track record at this point that um, that the front office is like aware of the, the landscape of the league right now. Um, and yeah, it's just it's wide open. It's there for the taking. And as these teams start to um, fall into sort of position among themselves um, and decide whether they're going to be buyers and sellers, uh, the Bulls have pieces to go out and get somebody um and whether that's somebody like Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes or um any of these other names that have been floated out I mean I think they do have the ammunition to make a move here uh and if they can just sort of like stay above water stay afloat in terms of health and injuries heading into the playoffs what they've done this year and um just the level of play against the top teams in the league and against like the middle and and lower end teams I mean there's no Real like walkover games this year, with the exception of like, you know, a handful of teams in each in each conference, like the Pistons, the Magic, the the Kings, the Thunder, the Rockets. Obviously, they lost to the Rockets, so that <laughs> that's a bad example. But you know what I mean. Like, there's not just a lot yeah. of these teams that you can just run through every night, and so they are playing like a very legitimate team. Um, they're competing at a high level against some of the top teams in the league. They've obviously beat the the nets twice now they beat the jazz um they they got their ass whooped by the the warriors there but a lot of teams have uh have faced that um the suns are obviously like streaking um like nobody else in the league but the bulls are right there and i'm really curious to see how they compete i was looking ahead at the schedule they don't play the bucks for the first time of their four games until like the end of january but um I would just love to see them continue to compete at such a high level, especially against these good teams to just reinforce this idea that like they are that good. They're on this level. Yeah. And
1: the reason why this makes a lot of sense to me is, I mean, they're built on, they're built on a tandem where you have two of the best oscillation scorers in the NBA. When things get tight, when things slow down, even against elite competition like Durant or Harden... Or even as, I won't won't call the Knicks elite competition, but you saw the difference in having just truly elite on-ball guys versus a team that doesn't have that, which the Knicks clearly don't. Like In Damar and Zach, the Bulls have one of the better two-man tandems in the NBA. And, And in the clutch this season... Uh, these two guys have won the Bulls numerous amounts of games. Like we've been in situations all this all season where you know for various reasons. Like I mean, for example, the Knicks game, the Bulls came out and absolutely dominated that first half. They got very complacent in the third quarter. The the get Knicks got back into the game. We're going deep into the fourth quarter where things are virtually tied, and it, you know the Bulls pull away because they have Demar and Zach and against the Nets that were able to out James Harden and Kevin Durant because DeMar and Zach are just doing their thing this season. And a lot of what they're doing is being separated by, you know, their performances in the clutch. And I know you have some numbers on, uh, on their performance in the clutch, but you read them to me before the show. Uh, I still haven't comprehended them because they're just insane how good they are. But maybe you can take the listeners through how effective Zach and, and DeMar have been in clutch situations.
0: Yeah, I think just before getting into the numbers, like
1: I've been thinking a little bit
0: about how I guess why the Bulls feel like they're such a like just the way that they play being such an isolation heavy team with your two guys that are like really shouldering the entire burden of the offense compared to a team like the Warriors where the ball is moving around a ton, um, where they don't necessarily have the same kind of star power that that a team like the Nets would have. Um I think just like the style of scoring and the degree of difficulty of some of these shots that Damar and Zach have been taking and making in clutch situations just makes it so impressive. And I think in some ways that that might deter people from thinking that they're as legit as they are because it just seems like it, it, it feels like it looks like they're having to work so hard to like grind out these wins. But I think they're just that good i mean so here here's the the clutch spin so far um combined they have 91 points on 53 percent shooting 34 from 35 from the line and i think my favorite part of this all is that they have combined one turnover zach has not turned over the ball one time in the clutch this year which is just wild considering you know where he was last year it was so tough for him to to close out games over the over the last five years that he's been with the bulls um he just hasn't been able to do it. And adding in this, this other isolation weapon to where now you have two guys, you can't really like decide how you're gonna to load up on them because the other one can just pass it off. And uh, it's just really impressive to see, you know, maybe maybe these numbers go down a little bit. I mean, Zach 51 52% shooting, Damar 57%, field goal percentage um, in these clutch situations. Yeah, maybe those numbers drop off a little bit. But I think, yeah, they're they're just they're really good, and uh, I think the way that they score may, maybe makes it seem like a little bit of a mirage, but they they just like they win these games because they're kind of built for these moments, and I think that is such a huge advancement for Zach, um, whether he's like been the guy or not um, in these moments, like having Damar and and learning how to read these these um, situations is it's just going to make them so deadly when, when the playoffs come come around.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And look, both deserve credit because they've found a balance in terms of, and they've found it really quickly in terms of how they play out these final situations. Like it's it's generally been demarc trolling things. But Zach's been completely fine with that. And at the same time, like, he just finds a way to bob up and, you know, find his rhythm within these sorts of situations. I mean, he had acquired 31 points against the Nets the other night. Like, just, he was so efficient. Like, you didn- I didn't know that he had 31 points, I guess, this is my point. But nonetheless, like, uh, this just speaks even further to what we were saying before. Like, when... Demar and Zach are doing what they're doing, and teams are having trouble guarding them at the moment. They're having trouble guarding them, despite you know having Lonzo and Caruso or Javante on the court, as, you know, in some of these key final fourth quarter possessions. So, like in theory, you can send two defenders to the ball to to guard Demar and make sure you got a guy on Zach, because maybe you sag off Caruso because you're not really threatened by his three point shot, or as we saw against the Knicks, like. Lonzo was getting wide open uh, corner threes. Unfortunately, he was able, wasn't able to, to make them. But when Zach and DeMar are doing what they're doing, naturally, defenses are going to just start zoning in on these guys. So if you can just upgrade that power forward position specifically, and you can get in a Harrison Barnes or an OG and or whoever, insert whoever player you want to you know, insert, but like another top 60 or 70 player, another real credible starter, it, it just makes it even harder for defense to, to load up on DeMar and Zach, I guess to that point as well, like what, they, what they're doing at the moment, like, is there another level that they can get offensively where they're absolutely doing this right now, where maybe they, they make you question your sensibilities of, of what a good shot is, but because they're such elite finishes, like, can they even get to that next level if defenses can't afford to double or triple team these guys? And I don't know, like that's something else to consider as well as to another reason as to why you would go out and boost that four spot, because, you know, Zach and Damar are doing some amazing things and they've found a rhythm with each other. This whole team more generally has found a rhythm in, with each other. But like if you just add another piece another legitimate piece, like there's another level to this offense in which you can reach. Like they're up to eighth in offensive rating now after being, you know, thirteenth maybe a week ago. But we all expected them to be, not expected, but had, had a, a vision of them being a top five offense. They haven't necessarily looked like that at this point. But if you can get a legitimate player in at the four, who can give you you know 13 to 15 points and spot up from three and hit 40% of his, of his threes, it could be a real third or fourth option, particularly when Vooch doesn't have it going. Then again, that, that'll just make it even easier for DeMar and Zach to do what they're doing in the clutch.
0: Yeah, I think the the last point about Vooch is, is, a, is a good one too, just because uh, obviously- like For the Bulls to be as good as I think they can be, they need Vooch to to play at a super high level. But I do think bringing in one of those bigger wing four types could just allow you to play a, a smaller closing lineup if and when the matchups dictate. So, um, you know, we talked about uh, Javante or, or Derek Jones closing games at the four. If you get to the point where Everybody's fully healthy, and you have Lonzo, Caruso, Zach, Demar, and you can shuffle in a Harrison Barnes or a Jeremy Grant or somebody like that who can help you play a little bit faster, who can be a little bit more switchable defensively, who can um, put the ball on the floor and you know break down, continue to break down the defense after a, a rotation pass. Um, I, I just think that the versatility is is another thing that the Bulls still have to to unlock here. And yeah, maybe it comes in the form of a trade. I think there were a couple flashes uh, while Vooch was out with COVID where Derek Jones looked really good in that small ball center role. And I think there's potential for him to, to continue to grow into that. Um, but he obviously has flaws. And so um, upgrading in, in that space, I think even if it just like helps the, the point that you made, even if it's just like to to free up Damar and Zach a little bit for them to be able to do their stuff. I think also just this idea of being able to to be really versatile and to play any kind of style that they need to. Because, you know, as you said, the, the playoffs are, are a different pace of game. Um, it's a different style that you have to play in terms of how you get your offense and how teams defend you. And I think basically every night you're seeing uh, a team like prepare for that and so i'm i'm confident that when the playoffs come around uh damar and zach aren't going to be able to or they won't have to change how they're playing because they're already kind of built for this and so building up sort of the rest of the the foundation around them it, it really sucks that pat went down because i think he is kind of that guy and assuming he would have made a big step in his play over the course of the year absolutely could have been that player but um it is what it is now and i think they have an opportunity to to add and um, yeah we've got some time still but i think that's going to be a big storyline moving forward
1: yeah for sure and i guess for the moment at least it'll it'll come through internal development and i guess a key storyline from the last week is Vucevic finding his form against the Hornets he basically didn't miss a shot or he certainly didn't miss a 3 6 of 6 from the 3 point line 30 points there he scoring at the rate that he did with DeMar and Zach continuing to do their thing. Like the big three gave you 83 points against the Hornets. Vooch backed it up with another really good game against the Knicks where you got 88 points out of the big three there. So like when Zach and DeMar are doing their thing, assuming he's still getting his touches, which he has been over the last week, like and and assuming he's obviously making shots, like Vooch can be a benefactor of what DeMar and and Zach are doing. And it, it makes it so so damn hard to guard Vooch as we saw this week where you know defenses are funneling in on Demar, Demar and, and Levine. like you can have Vooch sort of just popping out to the three point line and using his really good face up jumper and he can just get clean looks day after day uh, just just spotting up after uh, oh, spotting up off these guys and we and we saw this, that we saw that this week so I guess that's that'll be the the case for the next couple of weeks. I mean, obviously, as we get towards January, and February, we can start talking more about trades, and we'll. Be, I mean, we'll be talking about it all season, to be fair. But like, if there's internal development to, to come, like it'll come through Vuch, and I guess that's an encouraging part of this week as well, and a key part of why the Bulls were able to go through. No, is we started to see some some signs of life from Vuch, which was really good. Like he's he's starting to hopefully find some form, so hopefully that continues as well. And and look. I know a I know the fan base was really hard harsh on vooch and I get it like through his first 10 games he was you know very very poor let's say he had one or two decent games but by and large part he was poor but I think we need to just take a step back and realize that vooch is one of three players in the league right now who has a defensive rebound percentage greater than 25 percent an assist percentage greater than 18 percent and a three-point percentage greater than 36 percent. So, like, there's only three players in the NBA doing that right now, and that is Vucevic, Jokic, and Embiid. So, to have a center that sort of is centered, you know, no pun intended, with, you know, amongst himself or, you know, amongst those type of players, like, to have a guy that can incredibly do that, can hit the glass, can pass the way Vucevic does, but also step out and hit the three-point shot the way he can... Like he can be a real weapon to this team, so um, I, I was very, I was just happy to see Vooch break out of that mental slump he seemingly was in, and to have the type of performances that he had this week. Like he said, a little bit quieter against the Nets, uh, the Nets game, but nonetheless, huge performances against the Knicks and Hornets.
0: Yeah, I think he, uh, you know, he he definitely has not had a good start to the year, um, but he is such an important part of what this team can be, and um, again, just speaks to the fact of. Uh, how impressive they've been so far, considering one of their, like, three most important players has missed a ton of games and not been his best. But um, yeah, I really, those those uh, kind of stat line benchmarks are really an interesting uh, reminder that, like, he is somebody who can be, you know, uh, an anchor of defense and, and rebounding, um, but also certainly as sort of a short roll playmaker, um a guy who can make the right decision four on three and um yeah, or just pop out and shoot threes at a super high level. And I mean, yeah, once you even like once you kind of turn that empty side pick and roll action that that Zach and Vuoch love to run, um, stretch that out, I just to to the three point line. It's gonna be so difficult to defend those guys if they're all clicking. And basically, we just need to hope that, like, when the playoffs start, they will all be on that right level.
1: Well, I, look, they've got a good opportunity this week coming up to to continue that, specifically Vooch. So, uh, he'll, he'll be key because there are some interesting, you know, center rotation battles coming up for, for Vuch this week. It starts Monday night against the Nuggets. Uh, you will hopefully see Jokic this time around. Obviously, last time the Bulls played the Nuggets, no Jokic, but. Seemingly, that will be the case on Monday night, where the Bulls play the Nuggets at home. Wednesday night, the Bulls go up against the the Cavs on the road. Now, the Cavs have been quietly quite good this season. You know, buoyed a lot by you know their front court, Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen have just been amazing up front. I mean, Jarrett Allen has been. you know, five-year, $100 million deal that he received in the offseason, he's been worth every single penny of that. So Vooch has two really huge key matchups coming up this week. And then the Bulls close out the week Saturday night at Miami where that team right now doesn't have BAM and won't have BAM for a number of weeks, as you mentioned, Will. So like this week and the way the Bulls will sort of perform this week will hinge a lot on on Vooch. Like obviously we know at this point through 24, 25 games of this season, we know what we're going to get from Damar and Zach and this is going to be elite shot making, but... If Vooch can sort of draw even or even beat some of these guys these these week, then uh, we're potentially potentially staring down a another three 0 week for the Bulls. So should we go on record and th- and suggest another win? Uh, you know, complete winning week for the Bulls. Should should we go on that limb and go that hard again? I feel like once we
0: decided or I decided that I wanted to to do this, that I started really overthinking it. So uh, they're at home Monday versus Denver. Yoke, I believe, should be playing, but obviously Michael Porter Jr. and uh, Jamal Murray are out. They've been pretty bad. I think they're three and seven in their last ten. So uh, that should that should be a win, right? I mean, they yeah, they beat be. the uh, the Nuggets in in Denver for the first time in however many years. I feel like they should be able to take care of business at home. Um, I think the Cavs game. So I'm gonna call that one a win. I think the Cavs game could be kind of a trap. Um, mm-hmm. The Cavs, as I you agree. mentioned, are really good. Uh, plus 2.6 point differential is fifth best in the Eastern Conference. Um, they have Evan Mobley back. Uh, Darius Garland is playing at an all-star level. Um, Jarrett Allen is playing at an all-star level. So I think they could be a potentially really tough matchup. Um, mm-hmm. but also don't have anybody to guard Zach and Demar. So um, I think if they lose a the game this week, it will be to the to the Cavs. Um, and I was thinking like the the Friday night, Saturday night. In Miami could be a bit of a a schedule loss there but I I do think they will go into Miami and win so um, I'm gonna go two and one I think they totally could and frankly they should beat this Cavs team but I think if they lose a game this week it will be to the Cavs
1: yeah look I, I completely agree I think that Cavs game is a sneaky game I hadn't considered the the piece around the Heat, the fact that they'll be in Miami maybe the night before and, uh, you know, that Miami nightlife may claim them. But nonetheless, no, bam, I think they should beat the Heat. But I think what's important now that, you know, over the next few weeks, the Bulls will only be playing three games a week for at least the next three weeks. Whereas previous weeks, there was times where they were playing four games, maybe even five games, particularly on those road trips. So... Like, they've got some good pace in between their games. They can recoup now as well. So maybe that'll help them get through these weeks a little bit easier. And particularly when you're down rotational guys like Javante, Kobe, even Caruso, who is doubtful for the Nuggets game. Like, having that extra day's break in between the the Cavs and the Heat game, like, that really helps a team like the Bulls right now who are down rotational players but yeah i i'm going to say 2 and 1 2 will uh, i think we can hedge a bit a little bit there and i'm pretty confident that they can they can go 2 and 1 and assuming they do they'll uh they'll remain uh, you know upwards uh, at the top of these sort of thing so uh, i'm pretty confident in it
0: yeah i think also like they definitely like take their foot off the gas pedal a little bit sometimes in games yeah, after they yeah. get big leads but they're not a mm-hmm. team that like you know they they're very focused they they know what's at stake mm-hmm. here they know it's like veteran guys for the most part um i'm not like worried about them going out in la or in miami or whatever like i i think they'll they'll go in and take care of business against a team that's been without jimmy buller and bam so um we'll see if jimmy plays in that game but even still especially having lost the that one the other week um i believe in chicago right uh i think they'll they'll get that one
1: yeah Let's let's call it. Let's lock it in. Two and one. We 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 got the three in our right last week. I'm feeling confident we're gonna get two and one. Uh, right this week but nonetheless we'll obviously find out and we'll uh, we'll review how we went next week on, on next week's show but maybe we call it here Will uh, thanks for joining me mate thank you all the listeners for jumping on and, and tuning into Bulls HQ follow us on Twitter at won't got leave you can get catch me at mkhoops the Bulls HQ Twitter is at Bulls HQ pod send us an email Bulls HQ pod at gmail.com if you want to be part of the Bulls HQ discord drop me a DM on Twitter I will send you an invite link alternatively there will be an invite link in the episode description of this episode. Uh, five-star reviews, all that sort of stuff. Uh, heading into Christmas, give Will and I a Christmas present by uh, for giving us some uh, five-star reviews. We, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. But um, look, that just about does it for this episode of the show. Like we sort of touched on this week, very good week for the Bulls. Uh, I'm confident it will continue. And just the way the te- this team continues to turn up, why the hell would you not be uh, confident that they- they're going to continue playing this well? And like we said, it all starts Monday night against the Nuggets. So be on the lookout for the next episode of Bulls HQ next Monday in your feeds, Bulls fan. We'll be back then to speak about all things Bulls, but uh, for now, on behalf of Will and I, thank you for tuning in. Speak soon, Bulls fans.